Tonight, basically taking the first three verses, Jonah's commission, just an introduction to uh, the book. Let's read those three verses once again. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah is uh, different from most of the uh, prophets. Uh, if you're honest, uh, you probably find reading through the minor prophets uh, a little difficult in, in some parts uh, of them. Uh, but when you come to Jonah, it's somehow different, it's refreshing. Uh, it's largely narrative, that it's just a story uh, there. It's not to say it's uh, more inspired than the others, it's all uh, God's word. Uh, but I suppose in a sense it's easier uh, to understand, to see the uh, lessons there uh, from it. It's the best known of the minor prophets, uh, Jonah and the whale, certainly one of the best Known stories, isn't it, uh, in the Bible? Boys and girls, you know that? Jonah and the whale, uh, the Sunday school uh, story so familiar uh, to, uh, to everyone. Jonah is also one of the most uh, attacked books in the Bible. Uh, why would people attack it? Well, they say it couldn't have happened. Uh, a man couldn't survive three days and three nights in the belly of a fish or a whale. Uh, and we know that's true. Clearly it was a miraculous uh, preservation. But uh, the liberals would say, well, it's an allegory. Uh, Jonah was a, a fictitious uh, character. Well, there certainly are allegories in the Bible. This morning we looked at uh, Jesus being the true vine. That's an allegory, isn't it? Jesus being the shepherd and so on. That's an allegory. There are fictitious characters. Um, did the prodigal son really exist as an actual character? The rich man and Lazarus, it's possible they were historical, but uh, the value uh, of the uh, lessons there doesn't depend upon the uh, historicity. But Jonah was historical. There really was a Jonah. There's no question uh, about that. The events recorded here actually happened. And if you say, well, how do we know that? How do we know that Jonah was real and we don't know whether the prodigal son uh, was real? Uh, well, there are scriptures that uh, uh, show that. Uh, you can either listen to me read or look up yourself in 2 Kings 14.23. Well, we read in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of, uh, of Nebat, which he made Israel uh, to sin. There were two Jeroboams. There was the one that followed uh, uh, Solomon, of course, uh, broke away from Rehoboam. Uh, and this is uh, one that we would refer to as Jeroboam II. He was uh, hundreds of years or so uh, later. But Still, he was an ungodly man, did evil in the sight of the Lord. 
But in verse 25, he restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from gath Hepha. So Jonah lived at that time. Uh, he prophesied uh, there the expansion of uh, Jeroboam's uh, uh, kingdom, the territory over which he uh, ruled. And then again, the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, 39. Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The men of Nineveh did repent. Jonah did preach to them. So uh, clearly, Jonah was a historical uh, character. We think of Jonah, of course, as the, the runaway prophet. God said, you know, you go to Nineveh, and uh, Jonah went uh, the other way. Uh, but why did he do that? And that's really the key to the book. Why did Jonah run away uh, from the Lord, or at least attempted to run away uh, from the Lord? Uh, look at the uh, brief look at the man. Uh, he must have uh, lived certainly close to the time of Jeroboam, probably within uh, his reign, roughly 780 to 750 BC. So that was the period it could possibly have lived just before that and prophesied what would happen when the next king uh, came, but that doesn't seem likely. So he was uh, in the 8th century uh, BC. Um, his success in expanding the, the kingdom, Jeroboam's uh, kingdom, was, uh, was amazing. Uh, it was predicted by Jonah. So we say Jonah must have lived around that time. He was from Gath-Hepha, uh, in terms of the uh, tribal territories, that was in the uh, territory of uh, Zebulun. It became Galilee later in Jesus' time, and actually very close to Nazareth. Uh, if you look at uh, maps, you, you can't find a map with both uh, Gathhepha and, uh, and Nazareth on, but if you do some measurements there, you'll see they were very close together, uh, those two. So that's where Jonah uh, lived. How often the, the word of the Lord came to him, we don't know. But there's one clear example, quotation here, or at least example of his uh, preaching in the time of uh, Jeroboam. Uh, so certainly the word of God came to him, uh, and he declared it, and what he said came true. And of course, he also was a prophet going to uh, the city of uh, Nineveh. So uh, he lived in a wicked time. Uh, Jeroboam was wicked, not quite as wicked as uh, the other uh, kings of Israel, and uh, he was able to expand his boundaries pretty well to the extent that Solomon knew in uh, his reign, great expansion of uh, boundaries. Uh, and that was amazing that the Lord permitted that, wasn't it? It was gracious. He's a wicked king, uh, doing little to, to serve the Lord, and yet the Lord allows him to expand his uh, territories. How Undeserved. So Jonah knew that God was gracious. 
And uh, we know that God's a gracious stormy, but Jonah knew that. He should have been prepared uh, for what happened, uh, uh, but he wasn't. His commission came as a shock. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Uh, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. That was the world superpower at that time. If you look through the Old Testament, there were a series of world superpowers, beginning really with Egypt, then Assyria, then Babylon, uh, Medo-Persia, the Greeks, the Romans, series of these empires that really conquered uh, the world. Uh, They were steadily conquering the known world. No indication that Assyria had yet attacked Israel, but the threat was real. They were a a powerful nation. They were a power-hungry nation. They wanted to expand. They wanted to conquer uh, nation after uh, nation. They were a wicked and cruel people. If you read up on the internet about the Assyrians, uh, uh, they're unbelievable, the things they do, mutilating uh, bodies, cutting off limbs and ears and noses and uh, spiking through lips and tearing off skin. Uh, just dreadful the way they uh, treated their uh, captives. And God wanted Jonah to go and preach against it. Uh, you can perhaps imagine how Jonah might feel uh, at that. Uh, what was his message to them? Well, notice chapter 3, verse 4, when he did finally uh, go there, Jonah began to go to the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So, uh, rather a negative message that he was to bring, a message of judgment. That tells us two things. It tells us that God is concerned how people behave. There are many who won't even acknowledge the existence of God, but God is concerned about the way that they act, they speak, they think. That's true of us adults, that's true of us as children. God is concerned about how you behave, uh, how you behave to your parents, to your friends, to other uh, contacts. Uh, So we need to recognize that God is concerned how people behave. And then secondly, God will do something about it. He will judge those who disobey him, who sin uh, against him. Uh, He is the judge of all the earth. The wickedness of Nineveh had come up before him. Uh, That's that's a legal expression, like a prisoner coming up for for trial. Notice in the end of verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. They were on trial. They may not have recognized it, but they were on trial. One day would stand before uh, the Lord. The Assyrians weren't aware of it yet. They worshipped false gods. They gave no thought to the God of Israel. Nevertheless, they were, in a sense, on trial and uh, would be brought uh, before the Lord. And it was Jonah's task to announce that to them. You might think, well, Jonah would relish that uh, task of preaching to these wicked sinners, but uh, no, not me, Lord, maybe someone else. Uh, He runs away like a a naughty schoolboy. I don't know whether any of you, when you were at school, were ever sent to the principal's office, Uh, but Jonah sort of ran away. He wasn't going to stand before the principal. He he ran away, and he ran away in grand fashion. Nineveh was 
northeast. And if you look at the map, we talk about the Fertile Crescent going north from Israel and around to uh, Syria and Babylon. If you wanted to go in a straight line to Nineveh, you'd have to go across uh, many, many miles of deserts so over there would go north and round. So that was the direction he was told to go. Uh, but Jonah went the opposite direction. Uh, he went west as far as he knew it was possible to go. I guess he knew of Tarshish. For some uncertainty of the, uh, the location of Tarshish. Many people feel it was in Spain, uh, but it was certainly a long way west. And uh, Jonah wanted to go as far away as possible from where the Lord uh, wanted him uh, to go. So, why was Jonah himself, why was he so unwilling uh, to go? Was he concerned about the, uh, the danger of it? I mean, it was a big city, uh, an enemy city, uh, a wicked city, a dangerous city, uh, kind of a daunting prospect, wasn't it? I suppose it might be uh, like being told to go and stand in the main square in Moscow and uh, preach against the Russians and Putin for invading Ukraine, uh, or going to uh, Damascus and uh, preach against the wickedness there, or going to North Korea and preaching in uh, uh, Pyongyang. Uh, it would be a very uh, difficult thing. Of course, God was able to protect his servants, but there's still no indication that this was the real problem. Was he afraid his prophecy might not come to pass? Again, not likely. The real reason, reason is given by Jonah himself after the Ninevites repented and God spared them. He was angry. Go across to chapter 4. This is after the Ninevites repented, and of course we'll come to that eventually. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. And because of that, Jonah wanted God to take uh, his life. It seems strange, doesn't it, from our perspective? If you prayed for someone's conversion and uh, they were converted, would you sulk about it? Surely not. That would seem unthinkable, wouldn't it? Uh, to uh, show a reluctance. Why didn't Jonah want Nineveh to repent? Well, consider the state of Israel. They were a rebellious nation. They had become an idolatrous nation. You read the accounts uh, there, and they turned to false idols uh, again and again. For about 150 years, the prophets had called them to repentance, but there were no response. They were disobedient. They were rebellious against the Lord. And now the word of God is going to go to Assyria. Uh, suppose they repent. They're a Gentile nation that becomes obedient to God. The Jewish nation is disobedient to God. Uh, what will happen? Will God reject Israel and take up this Gentile nation? Is that the fear that uh, Jonah had, it seems likely along these lines. Why would he be angry when the Ninevites turned to God? That's the only explanation that really makes uh, sense. Uh, he didn't want to see Gentiles coming to the Lord 
when Israel were in such a, a poor state of themselves. Uh, maybe God will reject Israel and take up Assyria. Uh, perhaps the focus of God's purposes would shift from Jews to Gentiles. These seem to be the kind of fears uh, that Jonah had, and we'll develop that as we go uh, through. So that's probably what scared Jonah. The cost was too great. We might wonder why Jonah even contemplated God having mercy on Nineveh. The message he was given seemed totally negative, didn't it? Uh, Chapter 1, verse 2, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. And then in 3, 4, the message he was to preach, it was the same one he was given before, uh, there, uh, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But Jonah saw further than that. And uh, we need to see uh, a little beyond that too. Why why was Jonah sent? If God was going to destroy Nineveh, he could have done it without sending Jonah, just like he did with Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, There's no indication that Sodom and Gomorrah had any warning of the judgment that came upon them. But the fact that Jonah was sent to Nineveh suggests a glimmer of hope, does it not? Uh, The pronouncement of Jonah was a warning to them. Imagine a lovely meal coming up. It's a table all furnished uh, for guests who will be arriving in a few uh, minutes. And on the edge of the table there, there's a beautiful plate of lovely-looking cakes and little Freddy sort of eases towards the table and looks around, can't see anyone, and just about to reach up for it. And a voice booms out from the kitchen, I'll spank you. Now what does that mean? Is that inevitable? He's going to get disciplined? Or was it a warning? It's really saying, Freddy, you take one of those cakes, you'll pay the price. Uh, you'll get some discipline. You'll be spanked uh, there and hopefully that would be sufficient warning for Freddie to withdraw from uh, the table. So really, the nature of Jonah's message to Nineveh uh, was a warning. Even though he said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed, the very fact that Jonah had been sent there uh, provided some hope. Uh, and we know exactly what happened. The Ninevites heard that message Uh, They were scared, they were filled with the fear of God, and they repented. And Jesus says that, they repented. We don't know how long that lasted. Uh, It seems they soon went back to their sins, perhaps a generation after. Uh, But nevertheless, they did repent, and Jesus assures us that they uh, repented. So I say there's a gracious element uh, there. In the preaching of the gospel, God rebukes sin. And by nature, we don't like to hear rebukes against sin, uh, do we? Uh, But we must realize that a rebuke against sin is a a gracious act of God. The calling to repentance is a gracious act uh, of the Lord. He could have left us in our sin, just abandoned us uh, to go our own way and end in hell. But the very fact that God brings the gospel and proclaims uh, the, the mercy that is available uh, is surely a, uh, an act of, of grace. Uh, to warn us of the consequences of sin 
uh, is a gracious, merciful act of God. I've known people walk out during preaching against sin. I've seen it. Uh, not very often, but I have. Uh, they didn't realize there was hope in the message. And uh, there is hope in the message when God proclaims against sin. God reveals sin that we might turn from it and be forgiven. And you can draw a number of parallels. You go to the doctor and perhaps there's a, a diagnosis of, of cancer. Uh, and not always we realize that, but uh, treatment, radiation, surgery, uh, chemotherapy can uh, result in a, a cure there. You might have a pain and you go to the dentist and he looks at your teeth and says, well, you need some uh, root canal uh, treatment or you need a filling or extraction, uh, whatever it is. Uh, so the very uh, diagnosis is good for us, isn't it? It leads to a cure, leads to a dealing with the problem. Some resent being told that they're sinners, but it's part of the gospel. You know, you read Romans, Romans 1, 15, 16, 17, Paul says, I'm going to preach the gospel to you at Rome. And then for the next two chapters, what does he preach on? Sin and judgment. Because that's a necessary prelude to the good news. Before we'll ever understand the good news, we need to see the bad news. That we're sinners. That we're under condemnation. That we're bound for hell. We need to see uh, those things. And God is uh, gracious in bringing uh, that about. We need to listen to the message. Take it to heart. It's for our good, for when sin is acknowledged, confessed, uh, repented of, there is forgiveness. There's a blessing that comes from that. When Peter was preaching, he says in Acts 3.26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. People might not consider being turned from wickedness a blessing, but it's one of the greatest blessings we can know, isn't it? To turn from our sin. Uh, it may be hard. It may be painful to consider our sin and then repent of it. But it's a blessing to be turned from sin. And in the gospel, uh, God brings that blessing by uh, warning us. Jonah knew that. He didn't like it. We need to know it and rejoice in it. When we take the gospel to others, we need to have the assurance that God is a God of mercy who is ready to forgive when people repent. We need that confidence. We want nothing to do with a wishy-washy gospel that tells people that God is loving and will forgive them whether they repent or not. Uh, no, God does insist on repentance. He commands repentance. He told the Athenians, didn't he? God commands all men everywhere to repent because there's a coming day of resurrection and judgment. And when people repent, God is kind and merciful. Are we like Jonah at all? I hope not. Uh, perhaps we wouldn't sulk if someone was converted, but are we choosy about those who we witness to? Are there some we don't particularly want converted? I can think of two particular cases where uh, when we've prayed for the conversion of an unsaved husband or a Christian wife 
the wives haven't been very keen about it uh, because they've got used to having an unsaved husband. They've got a, uh, their own set of friends. Uh, they've just uh, become used to this way of life. Well, they go off to church, the husband doesn't. But if the husband is converted, uh, it's going to completely change that relationship. They've got to work on that. And sadly, I say, I can think of two cases where uh, wives were not uh, willing to do that. They didn't want that change. They were content uh, with the way uh, that things were. And uh, that's sad indeed. Well, perhaps we wouldn't uh, behave in that way, but uh, can we be prejudiced against certain people, classes, races, and uh, we find it easier to ignore them? Peter Fickett was telling us about the uh, uh, outlook of uh, missionaries towards Muslims, and for a long time there was very little concern uh, to spread the gospel to Muslims. They seemed to somehow think that they were unreachable, uh, but uh, we see God working wonderfully uh, these days in Muslim countries, many being converted, brought to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the men at a recent uh, uh, discussion on this Crown Theological program that some of us went to by invitation, uh, they mentioned uh, uh, one man who uh, went from uh, was it Syria uh, to Germany. Uh, he went on a false passport. He was arrested, uh, put in jail, uh, and the only thing he had in his cell was a Bible. And through reading the Bible, he was converted, wonderfully converted just through reading uh, the Word of God. So the Lord is working amongst Muslims, and we should not in any way uh, hesitate to seek to witness uh, to them. If God is gracious and ready to receive all who repent and turn to him, we'd better be willing to bring the gospel to anyone. It's not optional, is it? We're told to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. That should be our uh, desire. Well, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. And we profit various ways from scripture. We can profit by the direct teaching of so the apostles, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can profit by the examples of godly men, like Joseph or uh, Paul, uh, Daniel. Uh, we can also profit negatively in the sense of how not to do it. Uh, and that's one way we profit from Jonah, isn't it? We don't want to be like Jonah. Uh, we shouldn't behave in that way. We shouldn't have that attitude toward the unsaved that Jonah had. Uh, may God keep us from that. So we don't want to be like Jonah. Uh, we want to be like Jonah's God, who has compassion on sinners, who wants the gospel to go to all nations, all people. And I trust we'll have that concern ourselves to uh, reach out uh, to those in, uh, in Burlington, in Hamilton, in, in Toronto. Uh, there are uh, unsaved people everywhere. We're surrounded uh, by them. And we need to have that concern uh, to reach them, not making excuses like Jonah, uh, but seeking to spread the gospel and show God's compassion uh, to all who will listen uh, to us. So may the Lord help us, uh, I say, not to be like Jonah, as he showed himself there, but uh, the God of Jonah, 
who is a God of love and compassion. Let's pray. Father, we can profit from a man like Jonah. We uh, feel grieved the way Jonah behaved. And yet, Father, we look at ourselves and are we any better? How many occasions have there been when we ought to have witnessed to people and we haven't? Uh, opportunities where we could spread the gospel and we fail to do that. Forgive us, Lord. Give us a burden uh, for those around us. Give us a compassion to sinners that are all around us, whether we uh, live near them, whether they're now families, our friends, our contacts, workmates. Oh, Father, we pray we'd have that uh, heart of compassion like yours uh, with a concern for the salvation of all. We pray, Father, you give us those opportunities to spread the gospel, to do it gladly, cheerfully, and joyfully, and looking to you to bless the seed that is sown in the salvation of souls. Hear us, our Father, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And our final hymn, where are we? 345, 345, facing a task unfinished. <laughs>